It's concert season, and concert season is all about the boots. Already, Oxford and Ole Miss have seen Morgan Wallen lighted up at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Ole Miss football star and Talk of Champions podcaster Jared Ivey bemoaned how his boots were lacking. He should have gone with Tecovis, the only stop for the Ole Miss fan and the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings for the spring and summer, including timeless, always-on-trend styles in men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. Stop by your local Tecovis store and have a complimentary drink or two on the house while you shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service, and many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The sun's a-shining in Oxford, Mississippi. Cookouts in the Grove. Beer showers. It's just the very best time for an Ole Miss Rebel to get out and get going. Carry front door peace of mind with you everywhere you go with Eufy Video Lock. Never has home security been so easy. Eufy Video Lock, an all-in-one security device for your front door, allows you to keep an eye on everything back home. And it's so easy. Installation requires only a screwdriver. So ditch those house keys forever and give Eufy Video Lock a try today. There's no monthly fee, and Eufy Video Lock has customer support on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. Go ahead, have your home as fun in the sun with the assurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock's built-in camera can tell you who's at your front door from the comfort of your poolside chair. So search Eufy Video Lock today. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of this, the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Geared at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Sitting in the guest co-host chair is Bennett Hip at Bennett Hip on Twitter. Today's guest on Talk of Champions, Bradley Sal, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, now with the Chicago Bears, going to come on and talk a little bit about the NFL Combine. Well, not a little bit, all a bit about the NFL Combine in his short stay on the Chinese Pharmacy phone line. Also, ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi to break down Ole Miss basketball's NCAA tournament standing. But first, Bennett, man, what's up? Not much, man. How are you? Good. How are you? What you been up to? I'm good, man. Staying busy and just um, it's a it's a fun time of the year. A lot of a lot of sports on. It's just uh you know kind of getting into the swing of things. Baseball is getting going. Basketball is getting down to crunch time. It's you know fun time of the calendar. Ole Miss basketball 0 and two last week. Entered the Arkansas game 38 in the net. Come out of that game 37th in the net, 44th in Ken Palm, according to Bracket Matrix. Um, Ole Miss basketball is included in all 96 brackets as of yesterday. I know everyone was up in arms, disappointed about the loss at Arkansas, especially coming off of such a tough loss against Tennessee that would have assuredly punched their ticket into the NCAA tournament. Probably would have punched their ticket with Arkansas. Now, if they lose against Kentucky tonight, that makes Missouri what would, in theory, be a must-win. But when you look at the bubble, is it really that? No, I don't think so. The best thing about Ole Miss's resume right now, and, and this is not to say that they don't have good wins, because they do have good wins. Um, you know, they got two over Auburn. The Baylor win looks really great right now. They have a win over State, so they, they've got quality wins. But the best part of Ole Miss's resume is that they don't have bad losses. And, you know, no matter what happens this week against Kentucky and Missouri, you know, even if they were to go 0 and 2, they're still not going to have any bad losses. You know, Missouri would be a quadrant two loss because they're playing them on the road. It's not a must win, but I think if you're Ole Miss, you would like to win one this week and just kind of lock things up because you don't want to go to Nashville. And, and, you know, maybe you can lose out and still get in, but I I wouldn't want to go to Nashville and go one and done. And then just kind of sweat it out until Sunday. I still think Ole Miss would get in. The resume is still really good. There's still not a bad loss on there. 
Um, but I, I don't think the the lasting image you want to you want to send losing five straight. I guess it's would be uh, six five, of their last yeah, six seven. Eight, yeah, six or seven. So it's not a must win, but I, I think if you're Ole Miss, um, you just need one more. You just really want you you want one more, and you've got it at bare minimum three chances to get one more win. When you look at the bubble, Ole Miss could lose out and still get into the tournament, but you make a good point. You don't want to get to that point. You don't want to get to the place where you even have to think about it. So if you beat Missouri at Missouri, you're in. You go to Nashville just to have some fun with it all. But if you lose at Missouri, you probably want to win one in the SEC tournament just to feel good going into the NCAA tournament. But looking at the end of the bubble and why Ole Miss is so secure, again, Joe Lenardi coming up in just a little bit. Ole Miss is a 10 seed in Lenardi's most recent bracketology. But when you look at the back end of the bubble – it's really, really bad, and that's why, despite what you as an Ole Miss fan might feel about this team and how they're playing, being disappointed, all that kind of stuff, take your own feelings out of it and look at the resume compared to the back end of the bubble. Ole Miss is safely in. I, I don't know really what they can do to play their way out of it, quite frankly, outside of maybe something happens to where there are those bid stealers every single year, and Ole Miss, because of the late season fall apart, that would be a way in which a bid stealer takes their spot, and maybe the optics of that plays into the selection committee. But the math says that Ole Miss is safely secure in the NCAA tournament. There are no bad losses left to potentially have on the resume, including at Missouri, but you still want to get that one anyway, because at that point, you got 20 wins, you got 10 in the SEC, and the NCAA tournament selection committee has never left out an SEC team that's won 20 games in conference and 10 in the league if Ole Miss were to be left out with that type of resume it'd be the first time ever yeah you know it's one of those things where it's the good thing about this version of the SEC you know in years past it's kind of what what kept Andy Kennedy teams out of the tournament is that you know they would have some quality wins but there were these games on the schedule that would just wreck your resume if you lost them. And you you only had certain opportunities for quality wins in conference as opposed to this year where really, if you're going on the road in, in this league, almost every game is a quadrant one opportunity or a quadrant two opportunity. Even if you're playing at home, there's still not going to be those awful, awful resume killing losses. There are SEC teams that have those losses, but they came – you know, in non-conference play, South Carolina going to Wyoming and losing, that is that is a re- a loss that wrecks a resume. Ole Miss doesn't have that. And, and so it's the good thing about this version of the SEC is that Ole Miss is sitting at nine conference wins. They've got two games left, plus some games in Nashville. And there's just – there's not really a spot where they could, barring a drawing Vanderbilt in the tournament and losing that game, there's not a bad loss that's even possible at this point. That's when I was looking up and down the resumes. I'm staring at Ken Palm. Every opportunity to have a bad loss, they avoided it. And the last two in three months almost was both games against Georgia. Georgia's ranked outside of the top 100, and Ole Miss has no sub-100 losses. They didn't lose to Vanderbilt. They didn't lose to Florida Gulf Coast. They didn't lose to Middle Tennessee. They didn't lose to Chattanooga or Southeastern Louisiana or Illinois State or Louisiana Monroe or San Diego. And San Diego was a very easily losable game. Ole Miss hung on to win Mm -hmm. that game 93-86. Those are the games that in – later years in Andy Kennedy teams would suffer those type of losses in the nine con, which would hurt their resume significantly when they won 27 games or won the SEC tournament championship, got in the NCAA tournament, ultimately in the end of the season had 27 wins. They had those terrible losses like at Mississippi state when state was terrible that year. Mm -hmm. What makes Ole Miss's 19 wins so solid is the fact that their 14 losses or whatever it might be, if they were to lose out, didn't come against anybody bad, and that's the most important thing. Well, if they lost 14, that'd mean they won one in the tournament, would be 20 and 14, but they could be 19 and 13 and still be safely in because the sub 100 losses just aren't there. Those same losses that hurt Andy Kennedy coach teams, especially in the later years. 24 wins, I remember when they won 24, went to the NIT, beat Memphis in the first round. Tariko had his coming out party, he left to go to the NBA. That team had a legitimate case to be included in the NCAA mm-hmm. tournament, but the problem with that team was the SEC was so bad. This SEC could have, God, eight bids. The Pac-12 could be a one-bid league. If Washington doesn't win its conference tournament and somebody comes out and wins the tournament and gets the automatic qualifier, that's really the only way the Pac-12 gets two teams in. And, and honestly, it really should just be a one-big league, you know, altogether. Like, Washington's fine. 
I just think even even if Washington were to lose that, I think it would still be a one big lead. There's just not that not, not that many opportunities for bid stealers to pop up. I think you're starting to look at there are some really good mid majors. I think that's where things could get a little interesting. But that's that's so far down in the weeds that you just have to wonder like is that even possible for Ole Miss to really fall down into that conversation? I think if you're rooting for teams like you you, you want Baylor to keep winning. But I think they're still pretty, you know, pretty in pretty good shape. But you want them to keep winning. That was a good win for them. Um, and, and then you know you want to, you really want Wofford to win their conference tournament. That is a team that should be in. They're a top twenty-five Kim Palm team. Um, you know they have no bad losses, uh, but they're a small conference team, um, and, and they're one loss away from the Southern Conference. Maybe you know stealing an at-large bid, and and so that's the kind of stuff you just have to look for. But you know, if you're Ole Miss, just find a win and, and not have to, and don't have to worry about what the Southern Conference tournament looks like. I, I think Ole Miss can win Saturday. I, I think tonight's going to be a really tough test. I, I think Ole Miss will come out to play hard, but Kentucky is just such a tough matchup from an athleticism standpoint that it, it's just really hard to see what an Ole Miss win would look like tonight. Kentucky after losses are so good. They just absolutely oh, yeah, folks. Yeah. Cal's, Cal loves losing. Like he doesn't want to lose multiple games, but he 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 loves losing like they did on Saturday because that's a perfect opportunity for them, for them to come in. He gets to yell at them for a while, they practice hard, they learn a lesson. He's very good at, at kind of riding the ship, fixing what pops up. He's a fantastic coach and doesn't get enough credit for what he does with the, as young of a team as he always has. But he, he loves losses like on Saturday because he'll use that as a teaching lesson heading into the postseason play. They lose by one to Seton Hall on December 8th, come back and wreck Utah by 27. They later on in the SEC schedule lose, for example, to LSU by two, turn around the same Tennessee team that beat the crap out of them on Saturday. <laughs> they beat that team by almost 20. So they're always yeah. good after losses, and that's where – Tonight, they were, it was already a mismatch, in my opinion, because Ole Miss doesn't do well with the overly athletic teams, Alabama, LSU. Kentucky is the, one of the most athletic teams in college basketball. I thought Ole Miss matched up better with Tennessee and quite frankly should have won that game, but they didn't. And now you come into a game against Kentucky where you just athletically don't match up well, especially in the front court. And yet, if Ole Miss was to win, it would shut up this entire hypothetical game to begin with. Oh, for sure. Uh, and I think one more thing that's worth, worth mentioning is – you. Know, not necessarily in the bubble, but just for tonight. Ole Miss hasn't won a Tuesday game all year. You know, they don't have they don't have a lot of depth, and that Saturday Tuesday swing has affected them more than some other teams that can go nine, ten, eleven deep. Ole Miss on Tuesdays in conference play lost to LSU, uh, lost to Alabama, uh, lost to South Carolina. Those Tuesday games coming off a Saturday game ha- have been tough for them to kind of recover in time. And this is the wrong opponent to do that against because Kentucky can go deep. They're, you know, they're young, they're athletic. Everything's kind of stacking up against Ole Miss. And, and that, that's kind of the beauty of, of what this team has done all year is that that's kind of when they've been at their best. So maybe they come out and we get kind of a special performance or whatever. But just looking at the game, it's kind of hard to see Ole Miss winning. But I, I think there are ways for Ole Miss to kind of take a step forward, play a good game, even in a loss, kind of right the ship a little bit. And then go to Columbia on Saturday and find a way to win and kind of lock yourself into a bid. I like Ole Miss as far as beating Missouri at Missouri. It's just a lot to put on one game. And that's the concerning thing. I've seen three games in a row now where Brian Tyree could have had the game-winning moment and faltered, so he's 0 for his last three. If Missouri comes down to that, Missouri's played tough, they could easily drop that game. Now, even if they did, it wouldn't be their worst loss as far as the net, the Ken Palm ranking, whatever you want to go by. South Carolina is surprising. South Carolina, going into that loss in which they beat Ole Miss by 15, even though Ole Miss had a chance there late, tying the game up, I think at 61. South Carolina looked like it was ready to take off, and there's so many teams tied for fourth right now. Ole Miss could end up with a double bye or as the nine seed. That's how deep the SEC and how competitive it is for that number four spot. But I thought that South Carolina was about to take off that they had like a 78 net ranking after that game, it seemed like they were destined to get to that quadrant one territory where it was a quad one loss. It didn't mean anything getting to 75 didn't happen. So almost right now has seven um, quadrant one and quadrant two wins and the quadrant one losses and quadrant two losses are such that Ole Miss's resume is really, really strong. But I look at Missouri. That's a team that continues to play hard 
It's a lot to put on one game, but if you're Ole Miss, you could eliminate the conversation entirely just by going one-on-one this week, just getting to 20 wins, and you're comfortably in. And if they are in, even if they lose out, if they get in no matter what, regardless, it should be celebrated by Ole Miss fans everywhere because that, this team had no business coming into the year being in this position to begin with. I think Missouri's a winnable game for Ole Miss. I don't think Missouri's very good. Obviously, they lose Jonte Porter before the season started, and that's kind of been, you know, they just haven't had enough guys there. Quando's going to get it going there. He's a really good coach. They played hard. If you want to worry about something, they're a pretty good three-point shooting team. Um, you know, they shot, they're 36% on the year. Haven't shot it quite as well in conference play, but they hit the offensive glass pretty well. They rebound well. Those are things that Ole Miss tends to struggle with. So, and again, it'll be senior night there. So it's, it's, it is a lot of pressure to put on one game, but at some point Ole Miss has to win one of those games where, hey, you're the better team. We need to go in and get a win. Doesn't matter how, just get a W. It's time for Ole Miss to win those kind of games because you are a tournament team on the resume. Saturday at Missouri, that's a game that tournament teams find a way to win. Again, it doesn't have to be pretty. doesn't have to be a blowout. just has to have you know a W in the win column coming back to Oxford, knowing that you don't have to you – know, you can go to Nashville feeling pretty good about yourself. And if you win one game there – you're completely golden at that point you're playing for seeding. So I think I think Kentucky is a chance for Ole Miss to right the ship, feel good about itself, you'll know, play better quality basketball, and then go to Saturday and, and just kind of carry that over and, and start getting back to what they were doing a couple weeks ago and, and win some basketball games. What does Joe Lenardi think about Ole Miss's NCAA tournament standing? He's coming up right now on the Chinese Pharmacy phone line. This is Talk of Champions, the podcast brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. The car buying process can be overwhelming. Believe me, I've been there, like recently. <laughs> You're just looking to get the best deal anyway, right? If that's the case, and to avoid the headache, head on over to Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you and get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory is priced to sell, and what separates Alan Samuels is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. They're hardcore Ole Miss fans, so they'll probably want to talk some Ole Miss basketball, baseball, spring football practices. But more importantly, they want to make the process as seamless as possible and make sure you get what you want at a good price. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. Stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels. Let's be friends. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Bennett Hip sitting in the guest co-host chair at Bennett Hip on Twitter. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, talk of champions in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud and potentially soon back on Rebel Sports Radio. Brand new and revitalized and rebuilt Rebel Sports Radio. More details to come on that. In the right time and place. This is not the right time and place. It's the perfect time for Joe Lenardi, however, and he comes to us now on the Chinese Pharmacy phone line. For all your pharmaceutical needs, Chinese Pharmacy is the place to go. Chinese offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Chinese also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. At Chinese Pharmacy, you get the best customer service out there. So give Chinese a call, 662-234-7221, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online, ChinesePharmacy.com. Chinese Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Going now to the Chinese Pharmacy phone line to speak to Joe Lenardi, ESPN bracketologist, Ole Miss, number 10 seed right now in Joe's bracket. Joe, first of all, before we get rolling, man, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, it's, uh, it's March, and that's a wonderful thing. This has got to be the most hectic time of the year for you, right? Uh, I certainly live uh, an out-of-body experience here for two or three weeks. I, I, I won't argue with that. Uh, unless, you know, you're sitting next to me the whole time, it's kind of hard to imagine the number of calls and requests and, and updates that we do. Uh, but you'll never hear me complain about it because, you know, I could have a real job. Well, thank you for carving out some time here. I know this is a busy time for you. Ole Miss – a uh, pretty remarkable turnaround in the first year under Kermit Davis. Before we get to Ole Miss, when you look at the bubble, everyone paying attention to the bubble, the teams that are fighting for those spots. Have you ever seen a bubble in quite some time this week? Not since last year or the year before that or the year before that or the year before that. It, <laughs> it always it makes me chuckle a little bit when people say, oh, the bubbles, you know, look at all these bad teams on the bubble or look at all this mediocrity uh, on the bubble. But like, 
of course they're mediocre on the bubble, or they wouldn't be bubble teams. Uh, You know, it's it's a 68-team field. It's a 36-team at-large field. And, you know, it's not like college football where the first team left out of the four, you know, can can probably make a pretty good claim to winning the thing. Um, I don't think the 37th at-large team or the 69th overall team has a realistic chance to make that claim. And that's why we're looking at a lot of teams, you know, in the middle of their leagues uh, that have been up and down all year because that's what the bubble is. Ole Miss has been firmly in your tournament uh, projections pretty much since they got to 14-2. and two. They've been there. You've had them safely in. Hit a little bit of a rough patch, 0-2 last week. 37 in the net entering this week, 44 in Ken Palm. You got them as a 10 seed playing in Columbia, uh, and they would play in the second round should they get out of the first against North Carolina. For Ole Miss, what is their resume, and what's your overall assessment of where they are? I think they're in good shape. I mean, certainly as a as a projected 10 at this point, I wouldn't make hotel reservations yet. Uh, but but at 9-7 and seven in the league, uh, with a realistic chance to split two games this week um, and, 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 you know, get to 10-8 and eight and, and finish the regular season that way, um, I, I think it's highly unlikely that they would be passed at this point. Uh, but but I also don't see them getting much beyond, you know, a nine or a ten, unless they were to really get on some kind of run in Nashville at the SEC tournament and start, you know, knocking off ranked teams again. Uh, I, I I think this is their level. I think it's an exceptionally good year, as you say, in in, in terms of you know, kind of the thirty thousand foot view of what's been accomplished and. And, and likely being in the tournament, um, you know, maybe they were projecting a little higher uh, in, in terms of the bracket back a month, six weeks ago. Uh, but the length of the season now has a way of, uh, you know, making teams find their true level. And I think that's where Ole Miss is right now. Is there a scenario in which they lose to Kentucky, they lose to Missouri, maybe they win one, maybe they don't in Nashville and still get in? Yes, I believe there is. Um, I wouldn't recommend it for the health of the staff or the fans, the mental health anyway, uh, because it will probably lead to some fingernail chewing next week. Uh, but what, when I, I kind of tend to look at this from a historical standpoint, and teams that are in the position that Ole Miss is – in right now, like not only do they have to fall apart, but other flawed teams, several of them have to, you know, stop losing or playing 500, which is about what bubble teams do at this time of year. So again, it's not likely I put their tournament odds at about 70% at this point. Um, And, and, you know, I think back in October, most people probably would have taken that. No doubt about it. I've been saying that very unlikely that they beat Kentucky tonight. Just not a good matchup for Ole Miss. But you win at Missouri. You're pretty and not a good right. Yeah, not good timing either. Yeah, especially when Kentucky's coming off a loss. They're really good off of losses. Exactly. Yeah, it's not the best script for Ole Miss to pull an upset. But if they do and they win at Missouri, that's pretty much ends the conversation for them. It's done. They go to Nashville just for the fun of it all, right? I think so too. Yes. A road win over, you know, a decent but not great team. Road wins help on every metric more than other wins. Uh, some metrics certainly more than others. Uh, but that would also guarantee a 10-win league season in a, in a conference that's going to go really deep this year. Uh, and, and, and certainly the quality wins are there as well. How many bids do you see right now for the SEC? That's probably up to the likes of Alabama, uh, which is really the the bubbliest of the bubble teams. But but if I had a bet, uh, I would bet on eight. And that would also be something that most SEC people, I suspect, would be pretty happy about. Well, one of the last things, and we'll get out of here, when you're looking at the final week, the final regular season week, what games or conferences or bubble action are you most paying attention to? What needs to be settled this week going into conference tournament play? 
I look at teams like CU, uh, now six and 11 in the big 12, but with some good numbers, uh, I, I, I just can't imagine that if they lose their last game, uh, which happens to be on the road at Texas, uh, that at six and 12, they could get an at large, but you know, they're, they're still kind of percolating in, in Indiana, uh, hasn't gone away. You know, they've won two games in a month and a half, but they both happen to be against Michigan state. And they have, I think six quad one wins, uh, yet are, I think five and 11 or, or six, something crazy in their league bad. Uh, and, and there was a time when if, if you didn't perform in your league like that, uh, you were pretty much written off, uh, but that's not been the case in recent years. So those those kinds of outliers are the ones that I'll probably be paying the most attention to. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this. I meant to ask you this a, a minute ago. Um, is one of the things that helps Ole Miss's resume the fact that, yes, they have seven quad one and quad two wins, but most importantly, no sub-100 losses? Is that probably the biggest reason why the resume is so strong? It, it certainly keeps the numbers up. Right, because in a lot of ways, really bad losses hurt, you know, in the metrics more than, than good wins sometimes, particularly if those good wins come at home. Um, so, so certainly, you, you know, the, the lack of anything red in those columns to the right is always a good thing. Uh, but, but I think fundamentally, for, for the most part, they've played winning basketball. And, um, you know, with, with all the – geeked up metrics nowadays it's easy to kind of overlook that and i'm still kind of a big subscriber to common sense and common sense tells me that they're a tournament team both on the court and on paper and a week from sunday that will be confirmed Ole Miss 19 and 10 overall host Kentucky tonight. He's Joe Lenardi, ESPN bracketologist. I know you're busy. Thank you for doing this, man. And try to get some sleep in a couple of weeks, okay? Try to settle it down. Don't go too crazy and then get you some sleep when you can. Well, I got April to sleep. That was ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Bennett Hip at Bennett Hip. Subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud and the Old Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. Almost had nine Rebels go to the NFL Combine over the weekend and show out Bradley Sal, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, current Chicago Bear. He's in Cancun. He's going to break it all down in just a minute. But first, Bennett, you look at the numbers. Zed Woods ran the fastest 40 time at the Combine, and yet Ole Miss wins five games. Do you look and think that's an indictment on Phil Longo, Wesley McGriff, Matt Luke? What do you make of that? I don't think it's an indictment on Wesley McGriff having won – Safety run really fast. Doesn't yeah, make Ken your defense Webster good. Ran a four four nine. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And I was mentioning Ken. I'm super excited for him just because he's been through so much with that injury. For him to do what he did athletically after how bad that injury was is is pretty amazing. Uh, credit to him. Credit to the Ole Miss strength staff and and the rehab staff. Um, that's pretty incredible. I don't think it's an indictment of Wesley McGriff at all. Um, not at all. But I, I don't think you know. Comma doesn't change anything. They had a lack of talent elsewhere. But offensively, it's absolutely an indictment on Phil Longo. 100% um, an indictment on Phil Longo. It is one thing for DK to do what he did, but for AJ to do what he did running sub 4-5, for DeMarcus Lodge to test as well as he did, with Dawson Knox to do what he did, Greg Little as well. It's just you know, you have all these guys and you look and you know, you go 5-7 and seven and the offense is inconsistent and, and you, know, you don't do well against good teams. And you kind of look at it, and you have three really good wide receivers, a pretty good tight end, a good left tackle, and, and a, a pretty solid quarterback. And for that not to work, it's pretty damning for Phil Longo. And I think you've seen again this week, NFL people watch the Ole Miss film, and they're generally just kind of stunned at how bad the offensive scheme is. You know, you see DK Metcalf run like three routes. You see the same same low percentage throws going to Demarcus Lodge. You see Dawson Knox running, you know, kind of wide open, just kind of finding space and not getting balls thrown to him. So, it's um, I, I thought it was a bad look for Phil Longo. He, you know, I'm sure he's thrilled for those guys, but 
coaching community wise, I think a lot of people look at his offense and kind of wonder how it how it so badly underachieved with that level of talent. Yeah, Dane Brugler, friend of the program, writes for The Athletic, the best draft analyst out there. He had a breakdown of DK Metcalf and his winners and losers from the NFL Combine, and DK was neither one. It was back to the tape was DK Metcalf. When you look at the 40, it pops off the frame, obviously with how, with how big he is, but he ran historically poor numbers as far as the three-cone and the short shuttle, 7.38 three-cone, 4.5 short shuttle. To put those times in context, as Dane Brugler wrote, Washington State offensive tackle Andre Dillard had a 7.443 cone and a 4.4 short shuttle. There are productive NFL receivers who are below average in either the three-cone or the short shuttle, but rarely both, and DK was both. And that shows you that his ceiling might be specialty wide receiver. He was asked to run very rudimentary routes as an Ole Miss Rebel, but that was just fine in Phil Longo's offense. He's got to expand his route tree going into the NFL. So he could very well have a team fall in love with him and draft him in the first round, but he's got real issues. And Phil Longo did him absolutely no favors as far as developing him because Jacob Wheeler is the wide receivers coach. And yes, he's in charge of getting the better, but it all comes back to what the offense is asking these wide receivers to do because that's how position coaches go about teaching their wide receivers. And it's not like Jacob Peeler is going to go away from offensive philosophy to develop players individually. You're working them for a specific skill set as far as the offense is concerned, and Longo's offense was falling terrible. There's a good website for I uh, use for draft season. It's mockdraftable.com. They, they kind of make the spider charts um, with all the metrics and stuff and how they compare to former players and that kind of stuff. You look at DK's percentiles for stuff, you know, height and weight. He's 87 for height, 95th percentile for weight, 97th for wingspan, 98th for arm length. Crazy stuff. The 40-yard dash was 95. Vertical was 93. You know, barge up 97th percentile. That three-cone drill that you mentioned, he's in the second percentile of that. And the 20-yard shuttle, he's in the third percentile for that. Yeah, it's it's a tough deal because... Those are clear red flags, but the issue for for teams and for DK himself is that you can't go back on tape and see how he runs certain routes that use those kind of agility because they didn't run those routes. So it's a disservice to DK because he didn't get to practice running those routes. There's no tape of him that can kind of counterbalance those bad testing numbers but at the same time it's tough for nfl teams to say yeah well he could run really fast in a straight line but we have these agility numbers here and nothing else to kind of go against them so it's kind of tough for everyone involved and you know just the, the fact that someone this good in that offense not have a full selection of routes to kind of look at on tape is just kind of unbelievable It only takes one team, and one team will likely fall in love with DK and those numbers and get drafted in the first round. Oh, for sure. He's not going to fall out of the second. And every NFL team thinks, oh, well, we can change that because we look at those rudimentary route trees that he ran at Ole Miss and know that he was not even remotely tapped into as far as his potential is concerned. So I I understand that part of it. But there are red flags. Now, Bradley Sal, coming up in a second, believes that DK is still a first-rounder, potentially top 10 because someone will fall in love with him. But I think that A.J. Brown's going to be the better NFL wide receiver, and the reason I think that is because he's going to play in the slot. So helping A.J. moving forward and projecting him forward is the fact that out of necessity – He was moved into the slot. Then he was moved back outside once DK got hurt, but he played both of them. That helped him. It expanded his repertoire. He has more tools in his toolbox. Dawson Knox got absolutely nothing given to him last year. Nothing. And it was indictment on Phil Longo in that offensive philosophy when Dawson Knox stepped up to the podium at the NFL Combine. And even more so when Matt Corral back here in Oxford stepped up to his post-practiced press conference podium and said, we're actually reading defenses now. When he started saying that, and basically saying there's logic now behind what we're doing, to me, that was the greatest indictment of all. Because you can hear Dawson Knox and say, yeah, well, Jordan Tiamu maybe just missed him on every other route or something like that. When your quarterback, backup quarterback, who's got all the talent in the world is saying that, well, now it tells me that it started from the top and just sprinkled on down. Which comes to Matt Luke, and I asked Matt when he was on the podcast recently, and he was great. He answered every question honestly and frankly, and he was great. But he said that he decided not to have a coaching staff overhaul at the end of last season because he was loyal to these assistants who helped him get the job and he wanted to give them a fair shake for a year. He felt it was time now. There's something to be said and commendable about that, but there's also a point to be made that, man, you should have made this move. Now, if if you didn't believe in those guys, you should have made the move then. But again, he made two great hires and 
Rich Rodriguez and Mike McIntyre, but I would love to have seen all this offensive talent in the hands of Rich Rod rather than Phil Longo in his gimmicky offense. Going back to which receiver is going to do better, I think I think DK is very clearly still a first rounder. I think he improved his stock this week doing what he did. You know, those two drills were pretty bad, but everything else was just so encouraging, so good. If you watch any sort of draft coverage from guys that have been in the league, they they always talk about. You know, if you're going to be an exception, you you got to be pretty exceptional. And that's talking about usually height or speed, something like that. If you don't have height, if you're slow, whatever, you better do everything else pretty well. Well, DK kind of fits into that, too. You know, he doesn't have the 20-yard shuttle time. He doesn't have the agility time. But everything else is pretty much maxed out from a physicality standpoint, from an explosion standpoint. Everything else is kind of there. And so I think he's very clearly a first rounder. I think he's probably a top 10 to 15 pick still. But like you said, he's got some learning to do. He's not going to be one of those receivers that you plug in year one and he goes for 1,210 touchdowns. AJ, on the other hand, he may go a little lower. I think he's probably a back end of the first round guy, but he also helped himself as well running as well as he did. I think AJ is very much a plug and play guy. He's ready to go. So much of what he does is after the catch, I just think he is going to have a really smooth transition for a team that drafts him to go in the slot, puts him in the slot, and just lets him do what he does best. So I think for the team that drafts DK, got to have some sort of tempering of expectations knowing this is going to be a couple-year project, but knowing that the upside is just it's sky high. I mean, it's Julio Jones, it's Calvin Johnson. That's the That's the upside. You're just going to have to help him get there. You know, he has all the physical stuff. Now you've got to kind of make him into the football player that he can be with all those physical traits. Yeah, I think his floor is Cortland Sutton. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's somewhere in there. Um, you know, If you look on, you know, Mott Draftable, some of his comparisons physicality-wise, Kenny Britt, uh, Chris Conley, Hakeem Butler, who's, who's in the class this year. So I think those, I, th- I think Cortland Sutton's a pretty good comparison as well. I, I Hakeem think Hakeem Nix makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think there are a lot of roles that that DK can do. Again, the NFL is all about finding things that you can do. And you're not going to give DK the full route tree week one, put him in the red zone, put him on go routes. If you pair him with a quarterback that has really good arm strength, you'll say like put him in Buffalo with Josh Allen who can throw the ball 80,000 yards. Let him run go routes and Josh Allen will find him. So I think that's the way you use him year one. And then obviously, as as things go, you add more to his route tree, you put more on his plate, and you kind of let those physical traits kind of take over. AJ, I think, is just going to really be plug and play good from day one. I, I thought he was, I, I thought he was, got overshadowed by DK this weekend, but I thought what he did, you know, running and everything else was really impressive. Kelvin Benjamin is DK Metcalf. Only DK's got speed. They're that big. Yeah, yeah. DK Kelvin, Kelvin is like a a basement bottom levels yeah. floor. Like yeah. that is the absolute worst case scenario. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you know, um, and Kelvin still had a couple of really good productive seasons. At but, worst, you know, you're going to get a couple of really productive seasons out of DK. Yeah, and and I think that I think the difference with DK is, and this is not just in general, is that he's got so much in terms of good bloodlines. He he's got a dad that has been through this before. Um, what it takes to work and be successful at the NFL. And I think that's going to be invaluable because he's got work to do, as we mentioned, but he's going to be willing to do it. Some people said, oh, he's too big. He got too muscular. And I think if you ask DK, he'd tell you, well, this is my job interview. Am I just not supposed to get in as good a shape as I can be? That says a lot that he was able to put himself into that condition coming off a pretty serious neck injury. So I think it's pretty fascinating to see where he goes on draft day. I think he's pretty clearly a top pick, but it's going to have to be the right team, and they're going to have to have some patience. But if they are patient, I I think we can look four or five years down the road, and and he can really be one of those top-level franchise-tier wide receivers. What does Bradley Sal think about the nine NFL Rebels in the NFL Combine? Back on the Chinese Pharmacy phone line is Bradley Sal. Brad's entering his eighth year in the NFL, for all you haters out there. Going now to the Chinese Pharmacy phone line to speak to Bradley Sal, former Ole Miss offensive lineman currently with the Chicago Bears. Brad's in Cancun in Mexico for what, a Bears trip, you said? Yeah, we got a little, um, a little trip for the, the team. It's called the um, Sickle Apples Vacation, and um, like 75 season ticket holders and four players come down here, and we do little football camps and um, you know, just different stuff with the fans. It's a cool trip. It's, it's really good to be honest with my teammates. What is Bradley Sal's Cancun trip outside of Bears organized activities? 
What is Bradley Sal's Cancun trip like? Um, right now, I'm sitting at the water park, the kiddie water park, too, and watching my kids get um, seven foot flat, and they think they're going really fast. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of kids, lovely brother kids. Um, Thanks a lot of the family stuff, man. Did you take the golf clubs with you? You know what? I did not. Um, wife wasn't having that. This is solely a business trip, family trip, no, um, no, no golf. I've never been disappointed with you as your friend until right now. <laughs> I am disappointed. Well, I mean, it's, so, it's, it's, it's windy down here, man. I don't want to come down here and shoot a million anyway. So we'll, um, we'll, we'll try to get back to Texas or get back in Austin. Well, I got you on for a very particular reason. Ole Miss had nine players go to the NFL Combine. You know this very well. You're tenured in the league now, entering your eighth year. You know all about these numbers, what they mean. You can break them down. The obvious place to start is DK Metcalf had a pretty remarkable day if you start to break down the numbers. When he ran his 40, a 4-3-3 at his size, everyone knows at this point how big DK is. Bench press 27, vertical 40.5, broad jump 11.02 inches. But the below average numbers were the three cone and the short shuttle, 7.38, 4.50. It's easy to look at the numbers and the uh, drills that really jump off the page. But overall, when you're assessing DK's day, what would you say was DK Metcalf's success or falling short of in the NFL combine? Well, I think that um, if you could pick two drills for him to do and not as good on, he did, uh, he did on the one. He did, the ones he did not so good on were the, were the ones that I think that the scouts would have expected anyways. Um, I think that um, he, he showed what he is. I mean, he, he tested exactly what he is. He's fast, big, physical receiver. He's got his best ball is going to be on the outside where he can um, he just basically take off that off field. He can catch a lot of downfield balls. I don't see DK running over the middle, doing a bunch of um, side-to-side stuff anyway. So um, his numbers weren't, I mean, they weren't like they were horrible. They were um, you know, a little bit below average probably for a receiver. But when you're his size, um, I mean, I don't think they're expecting him to come out and, and be a, a four a four oh cone guy and a, a six seven L drill guy. So um, I think I think what he did well on was what he is anyway. So and, and I think he did much better than we expected. And see how strong he was. Twenty seven reps is super impressive. And in the four three, I mean that, that's sort of him. He's, uh, he's going to be a bona fide first round pick. The question is how high. But um, I can I can see him existing into the top ten. So you don't see the comp changing at all, even with the below average three cone short shuttle. Nothing really changed. For DK Metcalf, if anything, he made himself some more money. Absolutely, he, he definitely he definitely upped himself in, in this combine. But, but that stuff, he's not gonna he's not gonna have to do that. He's not gonna have to go side to side much. I mean, he's gonna um, you know, he's got to beat the guy in front of him. He's got to get running downfield. So he'll he'll always be the um, the red zone guy or the downfield threat. He, I mean, he's not gonna be asked to go off and jit guys. He'll, he'll catch it and um, get up tackling. How can DK Metcalf make an impact day one? Do you see him as, as one of those type of guys, a day one instant impact starter, or are there things in which that could hold him back to where he doesn't make his impact until midway through the year? I, I could see DK. Is, uh, I think with um, luckily having parents around and, and that kind of history of football, I think we'll have some good advice going into that. Rookie, just how fast can you get out there and learn the playbook? And I mean, you have to really learn the playbook in the NFL so that you can play up to your speed, up to your ability, because um, you know, if you know what you're doing, you can do it a lot faster. If he's out there guessing, he won't be able to use his talent as well. But if, if he can get in there and um, and learn that playbook and um, you know compete, like like I know like I know his mindset is, um, I think he can make an impact for sure. If um, you know, there's definitely a package for him, especially when you get down close to the red zone, where he'll have a chance to go make a play. And just I don't know him real well. I never really got a chance to talk to him, but just going watching him at Ole Miss, him and uh, him and um, I, I think I think he'll, com- he'll compete really well. I think that that side of it will be will be fine with him. What's the comp for him? I th- I say Cortland Sutton. Is there anybody else that makes a lot of sense to you? You see a lot about the David Boston comp. Everyone's saying that he might be a little too big. That the injury history might be concerning. I don't know if I buy into that too much. I think he's just more of a specialty wide receiver who can make a real impact like a Cortland Sutton did in his rookie year. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I also also like kind of like a Mike Evans type deal. I mean. I think that um, you know Mike Evans. That's just what he does, man. And if they, he runs down to they throw it to him, he makes a catch. I mean, he, I'm sure he is an amazing L drill or cone guy as well. You know, he's a taller, bigger body guy. He's um, you know, like I could see him somewhere, just a, just a big playmaker down the field. You know, make a couple of plays a game and um, change change the um, the flow of the game. 
AJ Brown, six foot two twenty six was his height and weight. Forty yard dash, four point four nine. Bench press nineteen. Vertical jump thirty six and a half. Broad jump one hundred and twenty inches. Overall, good day for AJ Brown. Yeah, solid day. Very very solid day. The um, the four four was was awesome for him. I, I didn't realize he ran a four four. That was that was huge for him. Um, I, I probably I didn't think he'd be a four four guy, but um, that that is that's huge for him. That shows. I had him more like a driver finger type receiver, but um, he's he's got a little bit more speed than than Jarvis did. Jarvis was four six, I think. But um, yeah, that was that was a good good day for him. When I looked at the uh, cone and the shuttle for DK Metcalf. The only two wide receivers who've been successful with those type of numbers are DeAndre Hopkins and Jarvis Landry. But DeAndre Hopkins is an all-time great, a unique talent. That's not a fair comp. But when I saw Jarvis Landry, I was like, okay, well, then DK with the other freakish numbers, he can fit. AJ seems to me like when he does run his three-cone, when he does do his 20-yard shuttle, he's going to be solid enough. He's going to be good. He's a slot receiver in the NFL most likely. I think Dane Brugler of The Athletic compared him to Juju Smith-Schuster. Do you see that as a fair comp? I do. I see, I see it very fair. I mean, I don't think he's going to be like a blazer. Like I can see him being more like yeah, yeah Juju's a good uh, movie comparison. Just a smart, good receiver that has enough athleticism to, to run by you and make plays. But um, he's a strong guy too. I mean, you got to remember he's a. I mean, he's a pretty strong receiver as well. So um, I, I think his competitiveness and um, and then how strong he is. I think if he's smart with his route running and, and knows the plays, I think he could be an impact receiver as well. If you're an NFL GM, are you taking DK or AJ Brown first? It really depends on my scheme, man. I mean, honestly, like if um, if I was a down tilt guy, if I was a Kansas State coach um, with Bruce Arians offense, and I was a um, you know down tilt thrower, I you want bigger body guys. If I was more um, in our offense, um, AJ Brown would be would be probably a better fit because we have a big guy and we we really need one big guy. We're more of like a speed kind of um, you know um, move based a lot over the stuff, a lot of trick stuff. So um, it all depends on the scheme, and that 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 really means something. That's all. I mean, you, you go you go draft the wrong guys that don't fit your schemes. You take a dude who's very talented and make him look extremely average in the league. Safe to say, both of those guys are top two round guys. Neither one of them are going to slip past the second round. Yeah, but both those guys are sure enough um, first or second round. I I'd be surprised if um, if any of them if either of them fell further than that. I could see them both being a first rounder. Greg Little, six five three ten, ran a forty and five point three three. Didn't bench press, but vertical jump 25, broad jump 113. Didn't do the three-cone, 20-yard shuttle, 4.74. What are your thoughts on Greg Little? Um, a, a, I, thought, I thought it would be a little bit better. I, I thought he would be a little bit better, but um, I, don't, I don't know him that well. I never I didn't really him much in practice or anything, so I didn't see what kind of athlete he was. And, um, you know, I mean, he's just a little below average on some of the numbers, but, um, you know, I think, I think his tape will help him out. He was a solid solid player in a good conference and um you know some guys they, they just for whatever reason they go to the combine they they don't they're not built for that and um you know he he may be one of those guys who may be better at um at the pro day but hey, his his tape will help him out he has he has solid enough tape to stay within the first two rounds i think <clears throat> his wingspan and broad jump were both in the 90 percentile uh arm length 84 percentile so you know the length is there the athleticism is probably what's going to help him out the most but there's room to grow <laughs> If you're an offensive line coach, and offensive line is your specialty, you can take that and make that work and make him a um, serviceable, if not better than that, offensive tackle for a long time in the NFL, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's, he's, he's got the obvious talent. I mean, he's, um, I mean, he's, he's got the length. He's got the, the build. Like I said, he um, he takes good sets. He's got good technique. I mean, he will be he'll be a he'll be a starter in the league at, at some point. Um, you know, each combine line forty wise wasn't the wasn't the super fast line and stop. So I thought he was going faster, but I think when it comes to playing the game, he he has the, he has the right stuff. Um, he has the right numbers. Zedrick Woods ran a four point two nine forty, the fastest forty of the two thousand nineteen NFL combine. Now Zedrick Woods is more of an in the box safety. Uh, what hurts him is his lateral movement and things like that. Still, I think what he's done is gone from undrafted free agent to likely in the later rounds, maybe a sixth round guy, something to that effect, maybe even a fifth rounder considering his speed. But once you see that number, as well as ones like, for example, Dawson Knox, who had a good day, even though he skipped out on a lot of drills, the overall numbers for Dawson Knox, 6'4", 254, didn't run a 40, 16 on the bench press, 34 and a half on a vertical jump, didn't broad jump, 7.123 cone and 20 yard of a 4.27. 
What are your overall impressions then about nine NFL Rebels, though we can't touch on every single one of them, going to the Combine and, and putting up really strong numbers? You got the fastest 40 in Zedrick Woods. Ken Webster, who was a contributor for Ole Miss football, reigned in the 4-4s. Four what, what's just your overall thoughts just of all these players showing out and yet Ole Miss only won five games? Yeah, that's 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 tough. That's tough to see, um, especially, I mean, kudos to Paul Jackson. Man. I mean, all, all thing that shows is if there's one thing that's right at Ole Miss, that, that's the strength and conditioning staff. And, um, I mean, to have that many guys running four fours and a dude out of nowhere running a four two nine, I mean, that, that speaks volumes of, of what our strength staff, staff has done. And, um, I mean, that's that, kudos to them, man. Those, those dudes have ever raised. I mean, this is not the first year they've had dudes come in there and randomly do good at the combine, too. So, um, so obviously, they're preparing those guys the right way. You'd obviously like to see a transition more to the field. Um, I mean, a dude running four two, eight, no matter what, he, he, he's going to get himself drafted just from that. And, um, they're gonna find. They're gonna try that kid at every position. If he don't look good at safety, they'll try him on offense. I mean, they'll try him everywhere, especially with being a four-two. So he'll, he'll get multiple opportunities to um, make himself into a player in the league. Um, I actually talked to a guy in our organization about Dawson Knox that um, they actually brought him up when he went down there. So he looked looked really good. Um, like, like the way he moved. I think he's um, he obviously he was a tight end a ton in our um, our offense, but he is um, he's a kid that probably could have. Um, benefited from a different scheme in college and um, when he got his opportunities I think he made the most of it and um, um, he'll, he'll have a chance to, to compete make a team for sure. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the other offensive linemen that participated in the uh, NFL Combine last week. Javon Patterson, 6'3", 307, 5.140, 27 on the bench press, which matched DK Metcalf. Vertical jump of 27.5, 98 inches on the broad jump, 7.723 cone drill and 20-yard shuttle of 4.78. What are your thoughts on Javon Patterson and what he could be in the NFL? That those are awesome numbers. Those are the numbers I would I would have thought Greg Little would have been at. Um, I mean, that, that, those are those are pretty much on average. But if you look at the average, he's pretty much on average with all all the linemen. Um, I mean, it just it just shows it goes to show right there. Um, whether you knew about him or not, he's a well prepared guy. He's going to check he check the boxes with athleticism at the combine, and um, he'll get a shot. I mean, he'll he'll get, he'll get a. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that he's a pretty strong kid. He'll get a shot to. Um, to make the roster for sure. He's, um, those numbers are solid. I mean, for him to not really have a whole lot of praise or be, um, you know, probably a, a high draft pick guy to come in and put up numbers like that is, again, I mean, this, these guys are obviously prepared. So um, I think the work's being put in at Ole Miss. He's got to get it trans, trans, transferred into the field a little bit. It's a pretty obvious answer, at least from where I sit, but I'll let you tell me anyway. Who helped themselves the most in the NFL Combine? I'd say the obvious answer is DK Metcalf. I mean, he, he coming into this, you thought he had first round potential, and um, it would have took it. I, I don't know that he was a sure thing first rounder um, coming into this. But um, I just um, he, he has all the measurables at first rounder. I think when he got in there and ran that four three man at that size, that's just, uh, that that that's probably unheard of. I mean, it's yeah. I think I think he definitely helped himself the most. He was already going to be a first second rounder probably. I don't know if he was a sure thing first rounder. I think. I could see some team top ten in it to be honest with you. Just um just from the sheer fact of thinking that um he's gonna stay healthy and um continue to, to even get more athletic. I mean he's probably twenty one years old or so. So um I, I, I can see somebody top ten and I think I think he went from being maybe a late first rounder to a um to early early first rounder. Try to work on your tan best you can. You can't work on your golf game, so I guess you're just gonna have to brown it up. Thank you for coming on and doing this, man. Enjoy Cancun. Let's talk again. No doubt, man. Appreciate it. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America, touching lives, securing futures. That was former Ole Miss offensive lineman, current Chicago Bear, Bradley Sal. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Bennett Hip at Bennett Hip. Ole Miss baseball has five home games this week. 
tomorrow, East Carolina. Tonight, Arkansas Little Rock. You look at these next two games. First of all, Jordan Fowler's going tonight. Tomorrow is Doug Nikhazy. Ole Miss is 8-2. What needs to get accomplished in the midweek? Do you need to see Jordan Fowler have a good outing? You know Doug Nikhazy is going to be a big part of this rotation and or bullpen all year. But don't you kind of feel like the midweek is where you learn how the rotation pieces as SEC play gets closer and closer, how things are going to shake out? Because I don't, I still don't think they know exactly what they have in between Will Etherton and Gunnar Hogland. They still have a lot to figure out. If Zach Phillips is that guy, can he play in the bullpen if he continues to uh, struggle a little bit? He had a much better outing, his best outing of the year against Long Beach State. But don't they need to start figuring some things out as far as how the arms stack up and how they use them? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting this week because the two games, the two starting pitchers, are going to be approached from a very different standpoint from a fan perspective. I think Wednesday with Dunn Nicasio on the mound, I think a lot of people will be kind of excited to see him get a start and to see what he does. Um, I think he's against, destined for the weekend rotation. I think so too. I, I think so too. And so I think there's going to be a lot of excitement there, especially against a pretty good East Carolina team coming in. I think that's going to be kind of a big deal, as big as a – Wednesday afternoon game can be this early in the season. But on Tuesday, you on tonight, I, I think Jordan Fowler is kind of one of those deals where you kind of just you're going to watch, but you're going to kind of watch with your hands in front of your face because he's got to get right. And you don't want him to go out and do what he did last time, just get absolutely shelled and have to you know, figure out six innings from your bullpen knowing you've got a game the next day and you got three this weekend. So I think it's absolutely Wednesday will be more exciting, but Tuesday is probably more important just because – this team is going to need Jordan Fowler at some point. He's too good to pitch as poorly as he has so far this season. But he was so bad last week that you just kind of have to wonder, can he get it back? Is it mental? Is it something physical? Whatever it is, um, it, it's really important for him to come out tonight and kind of put together a pretty good start. This isn't new for Jordan Fowler. He's been bad since the summer. He was bad in the fall. He's bad in preseason practices. It's time for Jordan Fowler to rediscover what made him a potential weekend rotation option. They need that from him. Austin Miller has, in many ways, taken over the bullpen ace role for Will Etheridge. Houston Ross still nursing that shoulder, but you know he's going to be a big part of the bullpen once he is right. Taylor Broadway's coming on. Tyler Myers has shown a little bit. Uh, Greer Holston is invisible right now his fastball velocity is way down I think the top end of what he's thrown is 86 and it's been lower than that on more often times than not so when you look at how the bullpen arms and how the rotation shakes out Will Etheridge you know what you got he's your Friday night guy Gunnar Hogland had a great out in against Long Beach State you expect him to continue to grow he's going to have bumps and bruises along the way Zach Phillips has to start becoming a stabilizing presence too because if he doesn't then you might have problems where Doug Nikhazy has to step in but does Zach Phillips's stuff play in the bullpen I don't know but this team is so strange to me because offensively you know they're going to hit but it just feels like 10 games in, they're still trying to figure some things out as far as arms is concerned. And you would think that the picture would become much more clear after 10 games. And yet it seems as muddied as ever to me. Yeah, this is one of the tough things about college baseball from a fan perspective and, and from a from a coaching perspective from Mike Bianco. You know, this is a, this is a team that uh, I'm sure, you know, if you could give them an MLB schedule, they would like 162 games to try and figure out this pitching. You have it over a, a few months to figure it out. But the, the issue with college baseball and why it's so tough, it's an operation of a small sample size. It's the entire season's a small sample size. And, and so you have this early pitching stuff. Like you said, it's 10 games, which isn't a lot, but that's you know a sixth of your season already. So for Ole Miss, yeah, it's only been 10 games, but at the same time, you've got conference play coming up pretty quickly. you got a big series next weekend against Louisville. The small sample sizes – at some point are just going to have to become, you know, whatever you've got to figure it out and you're going to have to take some chances and try and figure out what's real, what's not, what's going to improve, what isn't. It's why college baseball is so fascinating. And this is probably kind of say every year, whether they have good pitching or not coming in, Mike's going to figure out the pitching staff and pretty much every year they do. But I think this is going to be his toughest test. You know, he's got Friday night figured out. He's got Sunday afternoon figured out for the most part, but everything else is kind of up in the air. And, and so they're getting good contributions from a bunch of guys in the bullpen, but it's just it seems like a lot of balls in the air at one time. And it's just, you got to kind of try and figure everything out. You've only got so many more games before you get into conference playing at that point, you're not doing a whole lot of experimenting when you're going on the road and playing in the sec. So um, it, it's kind of small sample size theater right now. 
Little Rock on Tuesday, ECU on Wednesday, UAB this weekend, uh, next midweek, two games at Louisville, then it's Alabama opening SEC play. So Ole Miss baseball going to have to figure it out pretty quickly. Before we get out of here, what are you paying attention to this week, Ole Miss-wise? Most well, paying attention I, to, you think? I mean, I, I think basketball for sure. I know baseball is kind of getting going, and they got some big games this week and, and next week, but this is basketball. This is for a fan base that kind of said they wanted to be kind of this is the situation they wanted to be in. You know, it's the first week of March. Ole Miss is playing important basketball games that matter. And so, yeah, baseball is going on. That's all good and well. But, you know, these are the games that the fan base said they wanted. They've got them. Now it's time for I'm, I'm sure it'll be a big crowd tonight and Oxford for senior night. But I think there's got to be a lot of attention on, on this team and, and seeing if they can find one more win. And I think it's um, this fan base been in this situation a lot in basketball kind of right there on the bubble um this team is probably closer than others but so many times before they've been around right the bubble and have fallen off for whatever reason I, I think this team gets in i think this team kind of breaks that bubble streak but i totally understand why people are, are pretty uncomfortable knowing that almost has been in the situation before and has gone the wrong way so basketball for me has just got to be the, the big the big thing this week that if they go one and one they're great they're in Get ready for some for some March Madness. He's Ben and Hip at Ben and Hip. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben. Check out the Ole Spirit, OmSpirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. We're available in iTunes and on SoundCloud. Thanks, man. We'll catch up again. Absolutely. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.